here is a box, a musical box, wound up and ready to play. Can you guess what is in it today? Je m'appelle Bill Lorenz Und ich heiße Ian Talentire Willkommen in Box 39 Und mein Name ist Adrian Cohen Join me and some very special guests live in here in the studio for our Box 39 Cricket Special. As we play a cover drive to the long boundary of music, we bowl some magnificent googlies of chat, and of course, we are wearing our pristine whites as we sit in the pavilion for the Box 39 Wall of Sound. As Ian, my regular chum here at Box 39, is away, having a brief surgical adjustment to his hairpiece this week, I'm delighted to be joined live here tonight in Colne Radio Towers, Studio One, by the voice of Colne Radio cricket, Andrew Oldershaw, a man whose knowledge and understanding of the complex game of cricket is so great, he can recite the captains of the England cricket team in reverse order, with their correct blood type, all the way back to the Bodyline Tour of Australia in 1932. How Hello, Andrew. Hello, good evening, Bill, and uh, so glad to be here. I've bought my cricket bat, so when we uh, play in the uh, Colm Towers nets later, we can uh, sure uh, show our real skills off. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I'm bold, I haven't brought my box, though, so, so be gentle with me. OK, I've got a spare one. <laughs> oh, and as always, well, I'm, oh, I hope you all managed to wipe that uh, image from your minds, everyone listening. As always, we are joined by Adrian Cohen, who has seven, yes, seven pieces of totally cricket-related music uh, on coloured vinyl this week that he'll be playing um, from over there in the Studio One Vinyl Chill-Out Zone. Now, Adrian is, of course, a Box 39 presenter and resident musicologist and also our Union of Radio Presenters accredited workplace rep. Uh, he will be with us shortly. He's just negotiating his radio presenter's bus travel allowance with the Colm Radio Bursa in the unlit alleyway behind Colm Radio Towers. And, of course, our resident 16-piece house band, Ausgang Exit, are with us live in the studio, as usual, and they've all managed to squeeze in. And this week... Their French horn player, Jacques, has promised me something a bit racy from their recent tour of Scandinavian green burial sites. So, ladies and gentlemen, let's get started with the show. It's time to open Box 39. <coughs> when the day is done and the ball has spun In the umpire's pocket away And all remains in the groundsman's pace For the rest of time and the day There'll be one mad dog and his master for four with the skin on a dusty pitch. This is When an Old Cricketer Leaves the Crease, released in 1975 by Roy Harper, and arguably one of his best known songs. It evokes the atmosphere of village cricket in the 1950s. Could be Jeff and it could be John. With a new ball stain 
Both of them at the end out most extraordinary way. He knew, this is the tragic thing about it, he knew exactly what was going to happen. He tried to step over the stumps and just flicked a bail with his, with his right hand. He to tried to do the splits over it and unfortunately uh, the inner part of his thigh must have just removed the bail. He just didn't quite get his leg over. Anyhow, he, he did very well indeed, batting 131 minutes and hit three fours. And um, then we had Lewis playing extremely well for his 47 not out. Agus, do stop it. And he was joined by De Freitas, who um, was in for 40 minutes, a useful little partnership there. Uh, they put on 35 in 40 minutes, and then he was caught by Dujard Walsh. Um, Lawrence, uh, always entertaining, batting for 30, 35. <laughs> 35 minutes, hit a four over the week, he was. Angus, <laughs> for goodness sake, stop it. In Yes, Lawrence, who had our own place, me well. He hit a four over the weekkeeper's head, and he was out for nine. And Tuffle came batted for 12 minutes, and then was caught by Haynes off Patson for two, and there were 54 extras, and he got all out for 419. I've stopped laughing now. we hear our first piece from our resident house band Ausgang Exit it's called The Galloping Badger come on boys take it away wonderful stuff now it's summer cricket you know the sound of leather on willow the, the gentle clapping from the village green the tinkling chatter of a crowd sitting in deck chairs under that English summer sun. What could be more perfect? What way could you enjoy more? Uh, you can relax, unwind and watch an enthralling game of so many variations, possibilities and excitement. So, Andrew, what makes cricket such a special game for you? Well, I believe cricket to be the sport of kings. When you've grown up, we're seeing Lara, Tendulkar and Warren, unfortunately for England. You can't help be mesmerised by the true talent like that. It's not a sport I've always been good at. I've had my moments, but my real desire has been watching it. I like the fact you can have a day of entertainment for around £50. Yes, we're going to be talking about uh, about how you play later on. Hopefully, before the end of the show, we'll have one or two uh, moments from your own sporting history. But there are so many variations on the game, aren't there, these days? Um, it's, it's almost confusing, isn't it? Now, what would be best for someone who's new to the game to watch? Well, I believe cricket now is actually three different sports. Cricket's more of an umbrella term. Um, so I'd say tests are for like diehards like ourselves, uh, 50 overs for sort of cricket novice adults and 20 overs for more like families. Um, I recommend if you want, don't have kids, maybe to go and watch a 50 over game. But if you want to go and see with your family, the razzmatazz of a 2020 game will keep the kids entertained. I'll be interested to see how the 100 ball game goes and how that affects sort of viewership in cricket. Yeah, so when uh, we're talking about 2020, each side has 20 overs. And then, so that's really sort of like an evening game or late afternoon to evening, isn't it? And a 50 overs game would be from sort of lunchtime onwards, wouldn't it? Yeah, basically uh, about sort of six hours for the 50 over, about three hours for the 20 over. You see, it's, it's all too complicated. Do you think maybe cricket's far too complicated? Um, I think the sport doesn't help itself. Listeners may play the quiz at home of naming the 10 ways you can get out in cricket. 
and I'm still waiting to see somebody being given out for hitting the ball twice. However, I believe once you get over those initial complicated issues, you find a wonderful sport full of tactics where a battle of a batsman and a bowler could be as good as a boxing match. Yeah, so that, does that mean it's a it's really a game about individuals or, or is it a team game? Quite confusing. Well, I think it's both. When you're in the field, you may feel part of a team if you're allowed anywhere near the slips or individuals. If you're on the boundary, like me and yourself probably were quite a few times at Beer Church. <laughs> uh, when you're batting, you might feel like a team when batting with a good mate and a solid partnership or on your own if you're walking back to the pavilion. In my very limited experience, uh, going out to bat, I felt very, very much that the pressure on me was as an individual. Um, and I quite enjoyed that. And I did quite enjoy the comradeship of, of, of the fielding. So it, you're, you're right. It was a sort of mixture of the t- two. So, so what makes a good cricketer then? Well, I don't think trying to smash every ball like I do, if anyone's ever played with me, knows that I try and uh, smash the, uh, the sort of willow of the ball. But... I think you've got to have patience, you've got to have desire, you've got an ability to give up a Sunday or a weeknight. Um, but the most important feature, I think, is timing. Uh, the ability to hit a fast bowler back overhead requires timing and not just trying to smash it as hard as possible, a problem I've found many times on my occasions. Yeah, it's, it's not really as easy as it looks, is it? So... Uh, well, you're making it out to be uh, there's the batsman. This is a very exciting thing. Well, what else makes a, a cricket exciting to play and to watch as well? Um, I think a good contest is really important. Um, the Test match last week was a perfect example of that. Uh, I think nothing is better than seeing a match ebb and flow like the uh, the one did last week. Nobody really sort of knowing who was going to win and who wasn't. I think nobody's interested though if it's a one-sided sort of batting paradise. It's a bit drab. Yeah, I think I quite agree. Everyone wants a bit of excitement, don't they? Even though if your team's really, really winning, you you do want a bit more than just just a, a complete one-sided occasion. Now, loads of people they follow cricket on the radio, don't they? It's, it's a program called Test Match Special, and we heard a little clip because that's 29 years today. That little clip. Now, what is this? What, why is why do people love? following cricket on the radio I mean I can't think of many other games where people prefer to listen to the commentary on the radio Um, I do agree actually TMS is up there with greats such as Radio 4 and Colne Radio Uh, I think it's both the characters in the commentators box such as Boycott Arlott CMJ but also the quality of the conversation which isn't always about cricket comments like he couldn't quite get his leg over and hard to put a rubber on still hold good memories for us cricket fans indeed so last question in this little uh, this little spot andrew is the average cricket fan a, a geek it seems so sort of statistical so complex well i'm a geek and proud of it but i disagree that not all cricket fans are the game is changing you've got 2020 you've got day night tests and other innovations means people can enjoy it even if they don't fully understand every rule. Well, that's more than we're doing with more to come from uh, you coming up. Thank you, Andrew. We'll speak to you soon. Today, just a few minutes actually before this show went live on the airwaves, Box 39 office received a phone call from Lord David Price, our aristocrat of cricket, a great friend of Essex cricket as well. It's been a while since we've heard from Lord David. Uh, I believe he's one of your friends, is that right, Andrew? Uh, yeah, we once shared a 100 run partnership for Pentaville's 11. Uh uh, very good game that was, yeah. Yeah, I don't remember that. I, I don't remember that because I don't believe anyone was allowed to go and watch that one. Anyway, it's been some a while since we've heard David, what with his tax avoidance and salmon marketing schemes around the globe. But we were delighted to hear from him with news of his latest cricketing adventure. I'm here on the outskirts of Stockholm in Sweden setting up the latest venture to try to promote cricket in this country. It's called, well, I don't know what it's called yet, but it's the first nude cricket match. Ten overs aside, and you can only play if you're over 60. You're almost like a sort of swinging cricket match. But uh, there's no pads. Uh, you can wear a box if you want. Of course, to play, you have to pay a membership entrance fee by my good... Uh, Offshore trust companies. I'll supply the food. 
When I got here, though, I noticed I just there was a, there was a, a gap in the market. There didn't seem to be any salmon. So I've got an opportunity to uh, probably broaden their horizons with that. And of course, there's the betting on the side. There will be ball tempering during the course. Of and of course, there will be no, absolutely no, ball tempering during the course of the proceedings. When one of the females comes into bat, fielders are allowed as close to the batsman as possible. This is Bangladesh's official theme song for the 2019 ICC Cricket World Cup, which will be won at home by England. Vindaloo. Now, archaeology. Is it just about students in muddy holes and brainy historians competing to find their holy grail? No, of course not. It's no surprise that archaeological programmes on TV remain hugely popular and trips to museums and historical sites top the leisure activities so many of us. And now at university I studied in history and landscape archaeology and many a Friday morning was spent by me as an undergraduate learning and loving archaeology deep and knee deep in cold and wet Fenland bogs and East Anglian fields, seeking Roman coins, Celtic coppice woods and deserted medieval villages. Now, with its, the oldest Roman town walls in Britain, Colchester is home to Roman temples, theatres and Britain's only known Roman chariot circus. In fact, it's about as Roman as anywhere gets. The Colchester Archaeological Trust is based near Abbey Fields in the centre of Colchester and it employs a full-time professional unit available to provide developers and others with a full range of archaeological services required by local authorities for planning applications or planning consents. Clients include private homeowners, landowners and developers, construction companies, local government agencies, schools and many, many more. Do you enjoy a bit of archaeology there, Andrew? Oh, well, I've certainly worked with a few relics in my time. <laughs> And that includes me, I presume. No, no, no. no. <laughs> it's the talent hire only. <laughs> anyway, recently I met up with Philip Crummy. He's the director and principal archaeologist of the Trust. And in this, the first part of our conversation, Philip talked about the Roman circus that surrounded us. Hello, my name is Philip Crummy. I'm the director of the Colchester Archaeological Trust. Well, we're a registered charity. Uh, we've been going for over 50 years and we do lots of excavations in and around Colchester. I'm the main employee. I get the biggest salary. I was born... After the war, I won't tell you which one, and I was brought up in Edinburgh and I went to St Andrews University and I did physics and psychology. We're sat here at the Roman Circus here in Colchester, a very, very famous piece of archaeology. Could you tell me what the Roman Circus actually is? The Roman Circus is where there was chariot racing and it was a quarter mile long and the charioteers, usually in chariots pulled by four horses in a row, they would do two and a half miles and it would last about five or ten minutes. There could be about 8,000 people watching it and they'd all be going bananas because it was like the ancient equivalent of football. Fanaticism from the fans, lots of money on the outcome, lots of passion. Some of the people even would resort, not many, but would resort in a misguided belief to witchcraft, curses, trying to get the opposition to crash 
cash so that they would win and they would get their money. People would get really passionate. We've been working in the lead-up to the redevelopment of Colchester Garrison. That involves a huge swathe of land on the south side of the town centre. Colchester is so rich archaeologically that if you want to build something, usually you'll get a condition on your consent, if you get consent, but there's got to be some archaeological investigation. And if the investigation shows that your proposals are going to damage what's under the ground, you'll be required to commission an archaeological unit, such as ourselves, to do some investigative work. And the principle is that if you're going to destroy something, it needs to be recorded. So we have the wonderful job of actually doing the recording. So here, we, we, before we started the garrison, we knew that it was a huge area and we expected to find lots and lots of burials because the garrison site comes up almost to the edge of the walled town. And in the Roman period, you were not allowed to bury your dead where you lived. So in places like Colchester, we'd bury outside. And Colchester, like places like it, would have thousands of people buried. And we expected to find thousands of burials and we've actually dug about one and a half thousand of them. We expected to find the remains of Camelodunum. Now, Camelodunum was the name, the Roman name for the settlement which preceded Roman Colchester, which is why Colchester was here, because it was a very important, a key settlement in southeast England. The remains of it are, are quite extensive here, and we found field systems, trackways. What we didn't expect was, in amongst that, to find any substantial buildings. It was very exciting, but that's, that's how we discovered it, unexpectedly. And, of course, it is the only one in Britain. There will be others waiting to be found, probably London and York, perhaps Gloucester and Lincoln, the major places maybe, but so far we're the only one. We're sitting here on something really special, and it's special not because it's so unusual, because actually what they did here was so exciting and different. So it's, it's a fabulous discovery, and it all came unexpectedly out of the redevelopment of Coast to Garrison. Well, I want to show you, you see it's in a bag here, it's got Flagstaff, that's the number, and I won't tell what you think it is. This is very, this is exciting. It's semi-circle, it's sort of like, like a half-moon shape. In the middle there's a figure, you know, it's a bird of some sort, from, from wing to wing of this bird, with its, you can imagine like a bird with its wings pointing down, as it in flight? It's pretty good. I, I should imagine it's about six centimetres from tip to tip, and at the top, above the head, is uh, a clip or something to with a with a, a loop through it a loop. a loop yeah with a hole through it so it can be attached to something and it's very flat underneath uh, the actual head is completely flat to the to the end of the mouth and at the back on the back a flat back to it no i'm going to show you in a minute how it works but a critical bit in it is this yeah. which actually is a piece of iron it's like a little rod so originally there's a rod there coming down here okay and, and it's at the flat top here in fact we'll go inside and i'll show you how this works okay Looking back with 2020 hindsight. so we found this on the side just to the side of where the circus stood and this is a circus related find so it's really interesting to find something we find very few objects to do with the circus but this is one of them and here we've got in front of us a replica chariot with a charioteer standing it pulled by in profile shaped four horses now the wheels are attached to an axle a wooden axle and they're quite widely spaced to give it stability the wheels have got iron rims normal wood, wooden spokes and they're held on the axle with this great lump of wood and then it would just slid over the end of the axle here like that so it just rotates around the axle but to stop it off to stop it falling off you would have this yes and it would sit like that it, on there so our bird-like thing with the semicircular shape reflects the upper half of the axle shape and the little loop on the top so you would have a hole through there is that this one is an iron one look it, it would place that it's what's called a linchpin this bit would go through the hole through the axle and it would be kept in place with a leather probably leather through that loop just tied underneath the advantage of having a linchpin like that is if the wheel gets broken it's quite easy to take it off and replace it you've just got to untie the leather pull the pin up and change it, it's like a very fast pit stop. I'm not saying that's what happened, but that, that's how it works. And as you can see, it's a well-made, beautiful thing. It's actually in the shape of a griffin. All linchpins are a bit different, in different shapes. The feathers on the wings are quite distinctive. This is a very well-preserved one.
most of what we find obviously usually unless it's burials is just rubbish that people have thrown away and that's why this was discarded it'd be great to find a buried I'd say a horse because they did bury very successful horses they were uh, certainly in Rome they're buried in marked graves wouldn't it be nice to find a burial of a, of a horse a little horse we're open until the end of September you can park here the best thing to do is to look at the website if you're driving use the postcode in Satnav not bring you to a little car park by the side of the building here. People who do come do enjoy it and they usually say two things, I never knew it was here but I've really enjoyed it. You're listening to Box 39 The Wall of Radio Sound with Bill Lawrence, Adrian Cohen and Ian Tallentire. is called It's Just Not Cricket by Neil Hannon's side project, The Duckworth Lewis Method, whose eponymous concept album about cricket was released ahead of the Ashes series in 2009. Exit, and this is one's called The Sky is Always Different on a Cloudy Day. Oh, I love that full sound of a 16 piece orchestra. Now, I'm to, here talking to Andrew Oldershaw, the voice of Colne Radio Cricket, and uh, we're living here in Essex, of course. Very, very fortunate to have one of the best teams in the country. Uh, Essex won the county championship last year. Um, now, Andrew. We, uh, we've got this sort of county grounds, this model of county grounds. Uh, is it, uh, where, where were they? Wasn't there one in Colchester until a couple of years ago? Well, most counties will have their main ground. Uh, it's usually in their biggest town or city. However, in the past, they have visited other grounds in the county. Uh, those will usually be in Colchester for Essex, although in the past they have also visited Southend, Ilford and Clacton, although this is much rarer. Um, unfortunately, uh, recently Essex have no plan to use anywhere other than Chelmsford. Uh, this is to do with economics, according to the um, Essex County Council, um, Essex Craig County Cricket Club, and no county ma- matches will be played from the end of June to late August now, due to the way the red and white ball games are blocked. That's a shame, isn't it? I mean, if you live somewhere like Ilford, you know, it's a bit of a schlep up to Chelmsford, but never mind, we can't do anything about that. Chelmsford is a lovely county ground. Now, if you're going to that ground, or any cricket match, in fact, what, what would you recommend you, you take to a game? So when we went, uh, we took a few beers, just a few, <laughs> um, lots of <laughs> snacks, including after rates for every time a wicket went down, and lots of sun cream. 
Uh, I think it depends on who you're going with. For example, if you're taking children, have something else for them to be occupied with. If you go in April, a brolly might be useful. If you go on your own, take a radio and listen to TMS. Yeah, but well, we talked about formats before, red and white ball and different types of overs. Now, what was the best format to watch? Well, I personally prefer, prefer test matches, but it depends on the individual involved. I know some people who love T20 and wouldn't watch a day's test match if they could watch paint dry instead. <laughs> I know some people who think test matches are wonderful and one day internationals are just pyjama cricket. My biggest advice is to go to all of them and then find your niche. Well, there's women's cricket, of course. Uh, how successful is the women's game? And do you know locally where we could see it? Well, just like most national sports in England, the women seem to be putting the men to shame. Last year, England's women won the World Cup. Unfortunately, there isn't as much local cricket around for women. However, the recent Women's Super League was very good and it's going to be a strong annual event for the future. Yeah, is women's cricket the same as men as a men's game? You know, is it the same rules, same sort of competitive structure? And the other thing, is it, is it mixed cricket? I know the FA Football Association calls ban mixed football. Uh, well, the rules are the same. You've got any antiquated laws have now seem to have disappeared. It still has some catching up work involved in developing structure, but I believe it's closer than most sports in quality between men and women. That's good. You can find some mixed cricket. I was once dismissed by my current head teacher's daughter, who was also a student at the school I was teaching at. However, there is no professional mixed leagues or teams. No, now, you just mentioned there, didn't you, that the women uh, have done very well and won the World Cup. So what's made women's cricket more successful than men's or more successful than it was in the past? Well, I think the lack of pressure uh, uh, to begin with is uh, really helpful. I mean, it's a blessing in disguise. They weren't all over the back pages for their misdemeanours or poor performances like the men's team sometimes are. They also do benefit from other countries having weaker teams, such as Pakistan, Sri Lanka and Bangladesh, who are very strong male teams, but their female teams are quite weak. But I think we need to just praise the effort of an excellent team that is the women's... uh England women's cricket team. Indeed we must. Now, that's lovely to hear from you. We'll be hearing from you, of course, later on in the show. We'll leave you to uh, continue vigorously rubbing linseed oil into your bat, and we'll move on. So we'll speak soon, Andrew. Thank you. Musical, musical, cricket, lovely cricket. So all I got to do is lick the ball before it reach a wiki. I beg your pardon, what did you say? I said keep on saying. Say so. Say cricket. Lovely cricket, cricket lick the ball before it reach the wicket. I may say cricket, lovely cricket, cricket lick the ball before it reach the wicket. Say, I who win the match? Which match? Not the cricket match. Say, I who win the match? Which match? Cricket, lovely cricket, got to lick the ball before it reach the wicket. Talking about the man called Lawrence Rowe Some of them are call him Yaga Yaga Rowe I mean say Yaga 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 Rowe Oh you know Say Yaga 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 Rowe Oh you know Jamaican reggae star Jar Thomas had a hit with Cricket Lovely Cricket in 1980 when the West Indies were in their pomp and glory Not being about basketball the song probably wouldn't be a hit if it were released today When crowds such as these gather in Sydney's Hyde Park, they've got fever, test match fever. And during the MCC tours in Australia, they're able to follow the game ball by ball on huge display boards. When the tours are in England, Australians expect the same service from the radio stations. Since atmospherics are liable to affect reception, cables have been called in to assist radio. It's a very ingenious scheme, as you'll see. For the atmosphere of a broadcast from the ground is retained, although the transmission is made in Australia on minute-to-minute information supplied by cable. There's no time to explain the whole paraphernalia, but there's an effects man to reproduce crowd scenes from a record. And you'll be amused by the use of the commentator's pencil to denote bat meeting ball at the right moment in his commentary. Very ingenious, isn't it? I ramble to the laws of cricket as written by the MCC 2000 code 
second edition 2003. With more than 100 nations now playing a wonderful game of cricket, it is necessary to write specific rules for certain territories. These rules must be taken with all due seriousness, honor, gentility, and a pinch of salt. The first MCC tour took place to the United States of America in 1859. Nevertheless, they are still hopeless at the sport. Ha 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 ha. No suggestion shall be heeded from America as to how to liven up the game. Things perhaps have gone far enough already. We are now playing at night to pipe music in pajamas with dancing girls, white balls, no, scrub that, pink holes, that reminds me, I must go and wash my box. This is an Anglican psalm chant entitled Rules of Cricket, a one-off novelty song performed by the London Quartet. It's very witty, but this is a shortened version. Check it out on YouTube. The cut will be the most effective stroke in the Middle East. Not a some of the English team shall be half cut. If, at the behest of the captain, any player should bowl repeated no balls. The umpire shall have the power to empty their pockets of their bundles of cash. WG So, uh, with Time Team in our ears, we're back to archaeology and Philip Crummy for the second part of our chat with him. Now, the best archaeological discoveries are those which challenge our ideas of human history, reveal new secrets altogether, and above all, capture the imagination. And possibly the most famous archaeological site of, all, of them all is Pompeii. Have you been to Pompeii, Andrew? Uh, I've been lucky enough to go to Bognor Regis, but not uh, Pompeii. Well, I, I believe there's not a lot of difference between them. It certainly has been in this weather. Anyway, after a devastating volcanic eruption of Mount Vesuvius a long time ago when you, Andrew, were just, or probably just still in primary school, 79 AD, Pompeii, an ancient Roman city, was buried under ash and pumice. The eruption destroyed the city, killed everyone. A tragic story, but of course it's left us with a wonderful and vast archaeological site and a hoard of Roman treasure. Now, this archaeological wonder also gave birth to a television comedy called Up Pompeii, starring the badly fitted hairpiece of comedian Frank ha- Frankie Howard. It ran on British television in the, in the 1960s, even led to a cinema film. Sadly, Frankie Howard's awful puns and double entendres from this sort of hybrid carry-on remain unburied and on display on YouTube for masochists and cultural anthropologists alike. Have you seen uh, this this programme, man? Uh, I've seen bits and pieces of it. It's uh, Wouldn't be say it's one of my absolute favourites. No, I don't think it's anyone's, to be honest. But anyway, earlier we did hear from Philip Crummy, so let's hear from him again. And uh, let's hear from him and talk about how he started in the world of archaeology. Uh, and it all began with a chance meeting in a pub in Edinburgh. Hello, my name is Philip Crummy. I'm the director of the Cottage Archaeological Trust. I became an archaeologist because um, when I was at university, a friend of mine met an archaeologist in a pub in George Street in Edinburgh. Because there's a lot of pubs in George Street if you know Edinburgh. And this friend of mine went digging with him and he loved it. And he said to me and another friend of mine, he said, you should try it. So he gave us the contact. And he said, yeah, I'm digging in Oxfordshire, why don't you come along? He was digging that what we call a Neolithic uh, long barrow, it's about 5,000 years old, in the countryside, a lovely part of Oxfordshire. Every summer I went to in the holidays when I was at university, and living in a tent, very social, lots of girls, drink, a good life. But very interesting as well, though, really interesting archaeology. I just stuck with that. I, I thought when I left university, I'd give it, I was going to do psychology, actually, take it further. I said, I'll just give this a go and see if I get on and ended up here. The most exciting thing that I could say I personally have found, because as a group we're finding stuff all the time, it's a kind of joint thing really, but the most uh, exciting thing, and it was exciting, 
was, uh, and it sounds really boring to everybody else. It's, it's so boring, but for me it was fabulously exciting because I, I managed to work out, which maybe felt quite smug, it took me several days, where the Roman fortress was that preceded the town. Now, it had been suspected, because it were finding, they were turning up in other major towns, that maybe Colchester wasn't a fresh town made out, laid out in an open field with a grid system of streets which is the sort of orthodox method that people say by which towns were founded. There was a, a fortress here built by the 20th Legion to house it got up to 6,000 soldiers. And it was very short-lived. And rather than knock it down, because the Legion was moved over to, the, to Wales area, they converted it into a town. And that, to work that out, we were digging at Lion Walk at the time with the Lion Walk shopping precinct. This is right in the mid-70s. It involved replotting all the streets, because a lot of the streets survived the transition from fortress into town. And if you look at the archaeology of Colchester, the, the bottom line really is where are the streets? And the street grid was first recognised by Mortimer Wheeler in about 1920. And over the years it's gradually got better and better. But I reworked it, because I retweaked it, replotted it, in relation to what we were finding in Lion Walk, and did lots of measurements. This is why it sounds so boring. But lots of measurements ensured that it was a mul had been laid out as multiples of 100 Roman feet. Beautifully done. And it worked out fortresses like circuses are all much of a muchness in terms of plan. But there are variations. But in the variations and fortress plans, this, there is this find, as I've discovered, that actually it was there. And it was, it was there, like hidden under the, the plan of the later town and we were finding these early buildings. And I spent about two days doing this, and uh, we had some the Victorian houses on, on Balkan Lane at the time for a hostel, and we, uh, we didn't Balkan Lane. And I did it upstairs in a room where I shut myself away, replotting on the streets. And when, it, when I realised that's what it was, the fit was so perfect, so obviously light, I was so excited, I was almost hopping on one leg, wanting to tell somebody, and I was lucky enough, and it was luck, to be in the right place at the right time, being able to be able to do that working out and to find it. And uh, we'll find lots of other things though, but that, that, that was good because it needs a lot of personal input. Most of the time, like the Fennec treasure, for example, the Fennec treasure is very interesting, really interesting, but it's not quite the same because you just dig it up. You know, you just like digging potatoes. That's the thing about archaeology, that's what's really good about it, is you don't really know what's there. What will archaeologists be excited about when they come to, to have a look at Colchester in 2,000 years' time? Well, the first question is, will it be here in 2,000, seriously? Will it be here? With climate change? I mean, phew, who knows? But let's suppose it is still here. They will, of course, find lots of plastic. Plastic doesn't decay in the ground. Like we talk about the Iron Age and the Bronze Age. Well, they'll find, they will find this a mixture of concrete 20th century buildings, 21st, they will get interested in them, things that we think are horrible now, and there's quite a few in the town saying to be quite blunt about it, so it'll be quite utilitarian buildings, they'll be, they'll be quite interesting, and people will be studying them, just like we study them. I think whatever else, I'm sure the archaeologists will find excitement in anything they find, that's what we're like, so you need to keep going. So. <laughs> archaeologists don't really search for individual objects, because there's more like that. It's more looking to see what's there and then interpreting what you find in terms of the whole site or maybe the particular object. For us to find the amphitheatre that I said should be around and I'm sure it's going to be somewhere. Very difficult to find that. I'd love to find that. I'd like for us to find public baths. There will be big public baths in Colchester. The actual, uh, what called the Basilica, the town hall. There's lots of the public buildings in the Roman town which are not, we don't know where they are. And there's certain areas I'd like for us to dig as well, as well as finding individual objects, sites, buildings, I mean. Uh, one area I'd love to, for us to dig, and we might be able to do it pretty soon, is the Essex County Hospital. There's some very interesting burials. The main roads leading into Roman towns are lined with tombs, and our street of tombs is Lexington Road, particularly near the County Hospital. And the Sphinx was found of course, in the early 19th century. I think that's a very interesting area. I'd also love for us to dig, uh, there's a bit of uh, St Nicholas Square, where there's, where there's a huge concentration being found um, about a century ago, of bits of uh, marble, worked marble. There's obviously some very special building or structure there. I'd also like for Sainsbury's to come down, for us a good look at that, because that's a very interesting area there. There's some major public building there. 
In fact, I quite like the whole of these standard goals that's come down. <laughs> There's a lot of Boudicca material. The thing about Am said, by the way, that Colchester, one of the great things about Colchester is Boudicca destruction. It is a mini Pompeii. And I don't think, uh, I know that people who walk about in Colchester don't realise what is under their feet. I'm not fussy, I would just have just a nice big huge area of the town centre cleared of buildings would do me fine, thank you very much. Trucking right, I heard a dark voice beside of me, and I looked round in a state of fright. I saw four faces, one man, a brother from the gutter. They looked me up and down a bit and turned to each other. is 10cc's dreadlock holiday from 1978 an obvious choice or so you might think but this song is about a robbery in barbados and not about cricket at all our community here in North East Essex, what really matters? How different is life really, wherever we live? As we sit here in the taxi, the one thing I'm really struggling to comprehend are the number of um, repair shops but there are hundreds of them a couple in uh, every street that we've been down for uh, motorbikes sort of just laying against the the front doors all the equipment uh, hanging from the walls spare tires and wheels uh, lying at the back of the motorbike shops it is frankly just amazing what they don't have um, on show once they've opened up the doors And the other thing, see, we've got these uh, cylinders, um, highly polished uh, stainless steel, and you sort of think that they're drink vending machines, possibly full of fruit juice or, or some other, you know, refreshing substance. But no, no, you can buy a Coca-Cola bottle full of petrol for your moped, your motorbike, or possibly even your car. There's no, uh, no fire extinguisher, no fire blanket. There are just guys sat on a chair by the side of the road with a, with a nozzle coming out of this polished stainless steel. Guy pulls up in motorbike, they fill up a Coca-Cola bottle and drop it into the, the petrol tank on their, their moped or motorbike. another report from Ian on his trip to Yogyakarta in Indonesia recently and is our final bit of music today from the boys they're looking a bit worn out I suppose they are a bunch of old men uh, this is under this is Ausgang Exit rather and Lucky Shoestring and the brand new Conga
I love that. I love that deep sound of the of the uh, horn section there. Anyway, we've received an email uh, uh, from uh, at studio at coldradio.com. And this is from Jeremy Loynes from Mersey, who says that listening to Andrew reminds him of the voice of a very young Mike Gatting, one of his least favourite England captains, who always seemed to be graceless, narcissistic and rude in radio interviews. However, you like this, uh, Andrew, he, he adds, uh, Jeremy adds, as an England captain for 23 tests from 86 to 88, he seemed to be pugnacious, bold, brave and belligerent batsman. So it does sound very much like you. Well, I do have the physique <laughs> of Gatting. Uh, must be all those lobster lunches we have at Cole Tower. <laughs> Absolutely, they are delicious, aren't they? Uh, he then asks, he says, Andrew, who is your favourite England captain and why? Well, of all the captains I've seen, I'd say Michael Vaughan, just because of the 05 Ashes series, but also he took on the mantle from Hussein in rebuilding a side who in 1999 was the worst team according to the rankings. I'd love to say Breely as well, as he was in the team just because of his captaining, not because of his batting, and he helped us win the 1981 Ashes. Unfortunately, I did not get to see that myself. No, but uh, there's been some great characters in cricket. And what about for England? Who, who would you say has been a, a great cricket character? Well, I'd say Botham, probably due to his strict fitness regime of staying out most nights and then (laughs) bowling the next day. There was a famous Ashes story when Gooch went out for his morning run once. Botham was just returning back to the hotel. Uh, Tufnell and Swan for their sense of humours. And I'd say Root is the modern day version of someone who just enjoys playing cricket and having a laugh. Yeah, I was listening to Tuffers on uh, on, uh, Test Match Special today and it was raining and he really is entertaining, isn't he? How about some other, other countries? Well, I know some Australian crickets have known to raise a smile occasionally but I'd say the current West Indies side are the most characterful my favourite is Chris Gale who looks like he's the coolest person in the stadium when he's just hit a six over 120 metres wow I think if I did that I'd done a little dance and then fainted <laughs> yeah, that's a long way isn't it uh, what about from Essex well I'd currently I'd say James Foster not known for his height but more his spirit However, my favourite character of all time is Ronnie Irani, who showed his true spirit by doing his famous stretch exercises in front of an Aussie crowd, allowing the copy in which he greatly encouraged. Excellent entertainment, and a game we lost by eight wickets. Yeah, so um, what game do you prefer? What game do you prefer? Is it the red ball, white ball? Um, I admit I prefer watching the red ball, but I could watch any form. Red ball can ebb and flow more, white ball can disappear in the crowd and come to a nail-biting last over. I think the memories of watching cricket is more to do with the experience than at the ground than on the TV. I actually prefer listening on the radio than the TV. Now this is the moment we've been building up for all the way through. We've been saying, what is going to be your, what was your greatest moment uh, as a player? Now I've played with cricket with you. I've seen you. I've seen you fielding. I've seen you bowling. Uh, I've seen you batting. I'm not sure if I've seen you bowling. Have I seen you bowling? Occasionally. Occasionally. You know, I don't think you've ever seen me bowling. But uh, what has been your greatest cricketing moment? Who reflect back which one is going to be on your on your headstone well i'd love to say there were loads and loads and loads to choose from but i'd probably say is when we played for beer church and i came in was four down for about 20 odd and me plus another club player put on a 50 partnership with no risk cricket due to the situation although i do remember running a four and nearly collapsing asking what i was on thinking i'd be near 30 so I'd have to retire and being told I was only on 17. And do you play anymore? Uh, I try to. Unfortunately, uh, the pressures of children and schoolwork sometimes means it's difficult to give up a a Sunday or an evening, but I, when I can, I try and play. Yeah, yeah, it is, a, it is a time-consuming game, but a great game. So that has been absolutely wonderful chatting to you, Andrew. We will speak to you before the, the end of the show, and thank you so much for coming in and bringing your special cricket bat in for me to, to hold as well. well. I'm glad if you could put the grip on for me later, that'd be fantastic. Well, last night was warm and more. In a dream I thought I heard your voice I went outside and started to sing The crickets were doing the very same thing Me and the crickets sing all night long Me and the crickets sing the same damn song This is The Cricket Song by Rich O'Toole and it's not about cricket either. Glorious July afternoon. What a splendid sight it is, Peter. It's an absolute picture, isn't it? The sun beating down now. Beautiful day. Crowds 
Not a seat to be had anywhere. Packed house. Yeah, absolutely packed. And the grass looking so lovely. Green as anything. Green as you like. Absolutely as green as could be. Yes. Grass has never looked greener. Yeah, what a scene, what a scene. Marvellous scene. Oh, I say, look, there's a bus. Oh, yes, look, there's a beautiful old English, what is that? Is it number 29? Oh, it's a 29 bus, yes. Beautiful English 29 bus. Yes, what a marvellous scene. Yes. Grass, sun, bus, marvellous. Yes. Yes, now that bus making its way now along the... Garbeldisham Road. Garbeldisham, beautiful village there. Oh, an absolutely delightful village, yes. Garbeldisham, what a lovely name. Oh, lovely name. Lovely English name, yes. Hello, hello, there's some people getting off the bus. Oh, oh, look out. They're off to enjoy good old English strawberries and cream. Oh, English, yes, yes. Watch out for those German strawberries. Yes, not the same. No, not the same thing at all, no. English strawberries and cream, 29 bus. Going down the Garboldisham Road. Grass. Cream. Garboldisham. Crowds. <laughs> the South Downs. Ovaltine. Cream. Heaps of cream. Cream and lawnmowers. Oh, summer holidays in creamy chroma. <laughs> Vaulting over a stile in a country lane. Catching sticklebacks in an old tin can. Oh, honestly, Nanny, I never touched them. Piano lessons <laughs> with Mrs. Duckworth. Father's hands on the steering wheel. Sit up straight. Oh, going faster and faster. <laughs> Locked in the cupboard. Oh, for being rude to Mrs. Howlett. <laughs> Take the wolves lay for a run. Oh, England, Elgar. South Down. Oh, Bath Olivers. Oh, play the game. Elbows off the table. Who's a brave soldier then? Oh, Nanny's hands all steamy and starched. England and cream. Creamy old England. Custard cream. Strawberries and cream. Strawberries. English cream. Creamy. England cream. <laughs> That's it. That's another show. And while Ausgang exit fade us out into the night, you have been listening to Box 39, the Thursday night community magazine programme here on Colne Radio. I really have been Bill Lawrence. And this week you've been listening to myself, Adrian Cohen, Ian Talentar, and our own very special studio guest, Andrew Oldershaw, the Colne Radio voice of cricket, and Mike Gatting sound alike. He actually looks like a very young Gladstone Small, to be honest, listeners. Now, thank you, Andrew. Great to see you again. Do join us again soon. Well, thank you very much for having me today, and uh, uh, look forward to the Cricket World Cup next year, and uh, I think cricket's coming home, I heard. It is indeed, and uh, we might even win a, a match or two against India. What do you think? Well, um, I think probably... Two or three, one, I'd say. Fantastic. We're really looking forward to it. So thanks also to our live house band, Ausgang Exit. A little bit more, boys. Oh, and the wonderful one, the masterful control of band leader, Henry. And, of course, thanks to all those contributors who popped up in the last 60 minutes to make our wonderful wall of radio sound. So from where we are, high up on the top floor of Studio One, here at Colne Radio Towers, high above the full and fertile lands of North East Essex, it's time for us to close Box 39 once more. Be seeing you. Be seeing you. You, 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 you.
Je plie. 